Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hope you are all well, witches. It is that random time between Christmas and New Year when no one has a Scooby, what day of the week it is, where they are. You wake up from a nap on the sofa thinking it's 1992 and you're about to miss your school bus. You're so confused. That may just be me. But I hope you all enjoyed the festive season, whatever you've been celebrating, and wish you all a happy New Year. I haven't got a book review for you today, I'm afraid, but I certainly will for our next episode. Today's episode is a long one still, as we really got into it in an interview that I did with the wonderful Amanda Edmiston, the author of The Time Traveller's Herbal. Join me after the break to talk all about the historical apothecary cabinet. Welcome back. I am here with Amanda Edmiston. She is a herbalist and storyteller based in Scotland. She first learned about plants and recipes from her grandmother, who still remembered traditional remedies and folklore. After studying law and then herbal medicine, Amanda found it natural to start bringing together stories, plants and magical places, drawing on the Scottish storytelling tradition, but in her own unique way. She has been showcasing her own work for over 10 years, performing and creating art in museums, libraries, forests, castles, schools and universities around the world under the banner Botanica Fabula. Welcome to the show, Amanda. Hi, Carly. Thank you so much for inviting me on. It's lovely to be here. Oh, I'm so excited to have you here, especially because I'm reading your, oh my goodness, beautiful, amazing book, The Time Traveller's Herbal. This is, honestly, I'm so impressed <laughs> with your work. It's absolutely stunning. Thank you so much. I really <laughs> you like it, genuinely. <laughs> it's just so gorgeous. Like the aesthetic and I mean, not just the aesthetic, you know, 
the, the images in it are stunning. It's just such an oldie, worldie feeling grimoire. It's just kind of what you would hope that, you know, it's kind of looks like something you would have been passed down by your grandmother. It's just absolutely stunning. But the information in it, oh my goodness, as somebody who's got a real love of folklore, herbs, and the old ways, there is so much I found in here that I have not found elsewhere in other books or like research I've done. So honestly, you, you've done good. <laughs> Thank you so, so much. And <laughs> do you know what? I mean, it was a long time before it arrived. Um, when I was doing book launches the other week, one of the places that I was, um, the big sort of party launch, if you like, was at the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons in Glasgow. And wow. um, I, it was the one I giggled at most because I had friends <laughs> that I'd known for 40 plus years. So one of my best friends from school came along and I haven't seen her for a while. There were friends from uh, toddler groups that I went to 16 years ago with my eldest. There were people from sort of all my walks of life yeah, and I got nervous, which I don't do very often. I mean, I've been a storyteller <laughs> for 14 years, as you said in my bio, and um, I got the giggles, but it was it was really lovely. And what I kind of wanted to tell the most was that sort of my magic, my dream had come true where somebody had been listening to my storytelling and spotted this um, way that I work, which combines social history, folklore, fairy tales, legends, mythology, uh, how we use plants, the symbolic importance of those plants within the stories, and then blends them all together and reshares them. Someone had spotted that, seen it for what it was, and commissioned me to write a book. So really, I, I'm so glad that the book makes you feel like that because it really feels like creating it was one of my childhood dreams coming true so thank you oh, <laughs> I love that so much no you should be so proud honestly and coming to that can you talk us through like the very beginning of your relationship with herbs like how your relationship looks like with them today and the work that you do with them yeah, sure. I mean, we might, how long have you got? We might be here for <laughs> days. <laughs> I'm a storyteller, I'm a chatterbox. It might take me months. <laughs> I guess uh, what I say in the book that one of my earliest memories is with being with my gran in her kitchen in Aberdeen which is, um, you know, it's sometimes called the Silver City, but it, it's made of granite. And granite is is a somewhat overwhelming stone. It's very grey on a dull day, but sometimes when the sunshine catches it after rain, it shines silver. But my gran's kitchen was this warm, warm, cosy sort of golden hub in this huge granite house. And um, her cooking had a sort of almost mesmerizing alchemical effect, I guess, on me. But she also had this beautiful garden and she would take me into the garden and get me touching plants from, a you know, as a toddler. I must've only been yeah. two years old. Um, 
of holding sort of uh, clove scented pinks, you know, and that beautiful, mm -hmm. strong scent and collecting mint to go on potatoes or chives to garnish a salad or, you know, so herbs and plants and cooking and the, the sort of integration of the garden into the kitchen was something I grew up with. And my grandfather was a sculptor and um, would tell me stories about the landscape and about the trees that he was, um, you know, that he had wood that he was then carving or the stone he was carving, the places it had been. And although my mum wasn't a storyteller when I was first born, um, she was a textile artist, something she's returned to later in life, or she was soon to become a textile artist in those days. Um, <laughs> my mum was always a storyteller too. And she would tell me stories about her own childhood when she went with my grandparents to um, my grand's mum and dad, my great grandparents who had a farm um, in the Worcestershire countryside. And the sort of incredible memories and, and the history and how that had shifted was always <laughs> woven into my mum's stories. So I guess my own sort of development was always there. My, my contact with herbs, wood with my grandfather, stories and social history with my mum and my grand's cooking. You know, my mum's a wonderful cook too. Um, and just the recipe book. So I mentioned my grand's recipe book that she was given by her mother-in-law, my great-grandmother, um, and how this book seemed almost enchanted when I was growing up. It felt so mm. old, you know, the, the paper is, is thick and slightly yellowing and there are generational notes in the in the margins and there's, there's still a smell of my grand's kitchen attached to that book. So I feel like it was always there. How that translated um, into my current practice with plants I I lost I got lost for a bit. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, um, made some poor choices in terms of careers and relationships and lifestyle and all those other elements that sometimes become a sort of shadow zone in your late teens and early twenties. Um, took myself off from very difficult situation to study herbal medicine in and return to Scotland and my mum decided she would move up to uh, she'd been a storyteller by this point for about 14 or 15 years and she you know we both came back to Scotland having um, my mum grew up there here and I spent the first few years of my life up here and had studied here and, and other things. Yeah, so we came back up here and I decided I would formally study herbal medicine. Something which if you read the book, <laughs> you will find out <laughs> was not to be. Uh, I decided not to go into clinical practice, but decided that for me, sharing stories about the plants and specifically stories that tell us the real use of plants, which so many stories do. I, I allude to um, to Rapunzel in one chapter 
-hmm. and mentioned the earlier Italian version, which concerns parsley in the place of Rapunzel's. Um, mm -hmm. And parsley, if you craved parsley as a pregnant woman, it might be because you had um, iron deficient anemia, for example, um, because parsley is massively rich in iron, but it's also capable of bringing um, the birthing process on. You know, we advise women not to eat huge amounts of parsley in pregnancy. Uh, certainly don't use it medicinally, but if you were at the very, very end, the last few days of an otherwise healthy pregnancy, I, you know, a, a bit of parsley might, might speed <laughs> things up a bit. Uh, it's quite powerful. Um, mm. And I think that's really sort of poetic, if you like, that there are these fairy tales and the herbs seem like such a small part of it, but they're whispering mm. through time of what they were used for and of knowledge that people have had. So for me now, my practice is about gathering social history, anecdotal stories and little snippets of folklore um, in usually in community settings and just by conversation and a bit of archive research, spotting how those plants are being used, looking at folklore that's integral to the landscape and the plants that then grow where those stories and histories are set and combining the two. So um, I share the stories like I do in the book. I also create um, performance pieces, workshops. Um, I've just branched out into an online course because people have said, you you know, there's a load more information there. I know I've seen your show. I've read the book. What about the rest of it? I know you know more and I've gone, okay. <laughs> I will create an online course. So that's happening too. Um, uh, but the whole time I'm doing that, I also have um, my own quite personal practice where I gather herbs in the places the stories are set in, um, make uh, tinctures, dry them to share when I'm creating performances um, or, you know, people that have ordered the book from me direct to getting personally chosen packages of herbs with the book. Um, I've got herbs going out with the course. Yeah, they're all there. Basically, the herbs are constantly there. But as you've just as you've just gathered in my lengthy explanation, they weave into that social history. They are part of the landscape. They're not just thrown in there casually. The whole thing has to layer itself up. Um, and there has to be a reason for things. <laughs> I like things to I like things to develop reason. I've got, in fact, in front of me today, I've got if you've read the when you've when you're reading the book, you'll discover Hertha's Haunt, which is a meadow not far from where I live, and the meadow sweet and Valerian that are in two chapters of the book it became Hertha's Meadow Queen, which is um a sleepy tincture of meadow sweet and valerian in brandy, but it, it's actually one of the, two of the chapters and the herbs. And the other one I've got in front of me at the moment is um, a, a, a very uh, special individual course that I ran for a, a wonderful student of mine um, 
but we went to the Ring of Brodka in Orkney and we have created uh, a special tincture in um, a very exclusive Orkney whiskey um, with herbs from the Ring of Brodka that go with the story that we wrote while we were working up there. So yeah, that's what I do. Wow. That's what I do. <laughs> You are such a storyteller. Like, I find myself hanging on your every word, so I can absolutely understand why you didn't go down the clinical route and, like, stuck to doing this, because you're such a people person, honestly. <laughs> like, you're so warm, and, you know, when we first started talking, we, you know, I just we're just gassing away because you're so down to earth and yeah I, I feel like you're definitely doing exactly what you're meant to be doing with this um one thing I oh my goodness love about the book is that you take the reader through different periods of time with herbs and their law is there a specific period in history that you are particularly drawn to and if so are there any reasons why um in many ways i have to be honest i am really hoping that the time travelers herbal does well partially because there was so much material when i say the time spiral speeds up at the end of the book and that i mm. decided to draw a close to events at the um, beginning of the 18th, uh, 19th century, about 1800 or thereabouts, is because we're just about to leap into my favorite period of history. Oh, right. <laughs> and, and everything from like Victorian days through to the, I really like the First World and Second World War periods of English history mm -hmm. in terms of the, uh, memories I've I've been have been given to me and have been shared by people I've spoken to, my own grandparents' uh, recollections and stories, um, and just because I know I don't want to give too much away, but I know how our approach to herbs and using them, and in fact, to stories really shift in the first 40, 50 years of the twentieth century. As a child, I was absolutely fascinated by Victoriana. Um, mm. I love, I love the the sort of shadowy intrigue of that whole period of history and the and the poisoning and the, oh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I've, there's a shadow time travel as herbal lurking in there too, where I just talk about things that that have really detrimental um, effects in the wrong hands, but. <laughs> Um, I also have to say, I mean, this is why I've written a Time Traveller's Herbal, because I just love history. Um, uh, I really feel like I can visualise myself back in time. I guess from the perspective of this book, the first one, um, and as yeah. I've just alluded to, that I hope there will be a second one that has the, the next 200 years in it. But in terms of the 2,000 years I look at in the Time Traveller's Herbal, I love, I have learned to love over the last few years, the 18th century world that I talk about so much. I mean, we had incredible changes going on in Scotland, in Britain, during that period of time. The witch trials are coming to an end, mm -hmm. um, or the first 
you know, the first horrors of the witch trials before the law gets changed so that um, you can only be accused of of impersonating a witch as opposed to actually being a witch. And the sort of burning and the horrors uh, draw to a close. But other things are happening. Plants are coming into the country. And although it's a time of, um, you know, quite a lot of um, uh, land snatching, culture grabbing, um, imperial uh, middle class uh, white, <laughs> usually male, I'm really sorry, middle class white men that are lovely. <laughs> Um, but some of your historical forebears were not so great for that one. Um, yes. <laughs> I think, uh... you know what I mean. But at the same, <laughs> at the same point, there is this incredible shift in knowledge. And when I first crossed paths with Elizabeth Blackwell, who is in that chapter, this pioneering Scotswoman who becomes the first woman in 1737 to write and publish a herbal. And she does it as a single parent because her husband has been put in a debtor's jail. It was her money he spent. Um, and uh, why she has him back, I don't know. But anyway, that's a whole other, that's a whole other conversation. Um, but she's fantastic. And she, she wrote and illustrated this book that has 500 plants from the everyday, um, hedge plants, weeds that you would see breaking through the urban pavement to exotic things, cocoa and tamarind and um, wonderful plants, corals and seaweeds creep in there too. It's just an incredible book. And I, when I encountered it for the first time um, in this uh, Royal College, it was granted its royal charter by James the Sixth of Scotland, the first of England, who really fueled the fires of those witch trials. Mm -hmm. There was something magical about the encounter, and over a period of about three years, working with a curious herbal, I kept crossing this incredible woman's path, and it began to feel like actual magic like I was caught in some kind of parallel universe and that mm -hmm. sparks were flying and um and so it felt so close our lives seemed so intertwined and the things the speed I started to learn about certain herbs and stories as I worked with the book and wrote the stories some of which became the Time Traveller's Herbal, some of which are now in the Curious Herbal online course. Um, it, it just, that drew me in. And so the 18th century, especially the first half of the 18th century became, you know, an absolute place of wonder for me. That said, you've gone and asked me my, my favorite question. As I said, we'll be here months, you know, I'm kind of, <laughs> I'm really, I'm saying that now and I'm like, yeah, but what's not to love about the 14th century? The 14th century is wonderful. You know, honestly, I mean, there are so many fascinating characters and so many wonderful herbal stories threaded through the weft of time that it's impossible not to have a little bit of affection for them all. 
<laughs> oh no I completely agree with you there's so many you know what I just had chills thinking you know maybe Elizabeth Blackwell sees you as the modern version of her like you're doing the work or maybe it's some past life thing it's just really interesting how you were saying about the synchronicities and she kept coming up like seems very aligned spookily aligned to me it was and the whole time I was working on the very curious herbal project. Um, I would have these incredible chance encounters. So, um, you know, I would work with a certain plant and this was during uh, lockdown and the time following lockdown. And I'd had a really, before the year before lockdown, I'd had, um, I'd, I'd had cancer. I hadn't talked about it a great deal because I didn't want it to impact on my work and I didn't want to give up. And I was just keeping going. But there'd been a lot of personal tragedy as well that year in other aspects of my life and a lot of complications. And I took the whole uh, Very Curious Herbal Project online because I was meant to be taking it to the British Library, but that got cancelled with COVID. And then I was meant to be going to Chawton House Museum down in, um, in Hampshire, and that got cancelled. And I thought... I'm just going to keep going. I need something to connect me and the herbs and my storytelling together through this. And every, and I did a plant at a time. Sometimes it lasted a week. Sometimes it lasted a month. And I did little online bits for people to, um, to join in with. And every time I picked a plant, that plant would cause something peculiar and significant to happen. I mean, really wow. silly stuff. At one point, I mean, one point I was working with Holly and um, uh, 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 I'd had a, an online meeting with someone about possible future event and she phoned up to chat because we'd had to cancel it. And we got on so well that she became a really good friend. We're still really good friends now. We've been on holiday together and things, you know, she's fab, but she's called Holly. And she arrived oh, wow. when I was doing Holly. Um, <clears throat> so Holly appeared during Holly. The other one <laughs> was hilarious and completely um, silly. You know, I mean, people expect magic to be, you know, deep and meaningful. Sometimes it's just daft. And you yeah. see it, you know. <clears throat> but if you see it, it helps you feel like there's something wonderful and different happening in the universe. So the other one was... The day I started to work on the cucumber chapter. Now, cucumbers are wonderful. They've got an amazing history. Um, they've changed dynasties. They um, were once used with for, for quite successfully, I believe, for fertility. Um, although that aspect has kind of been removed from them in um, mass supermarket selling because they're now <laughs> seedless and it's the seeds that... Anyway, I could go on about cucumbers for ages. But the day I started cucumbers, in the Curious Herbal Project, I went to collect my online supermarket order in a main British UK, you know, as 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 everyday and normal as you like, the most normal British supermarket there is. Um, uh, you know, for the for the listeners in the UK, I was getting some a multi pack of pants in the same order. Um, you know where I was. <laughs> 
you couldn't get a less magical place, right? Um, <laughs> and the woman said to me, oh, on your reward card, you get a free cucumber. Would you like me to go and get it and pack it for you? And I was like, what? And she went, people usually get a box of biscuits or chocolate or something like that. For some reason, you've got a cucumber. And I'm like, okay, I'll take that. That's fine. <laughs> Like, that's really <laughs> odd. And I just came home and I wrote about it, you know, on, on my um on my social media. I'm like, this is really odd. I'm doing cucumber this week. As you all know, I announced it yesterday. I've just been to insert boring supermarket experience. <laughs> and the woman's come rushing out and said, oh, I forgot to give you your free cucumber. And I'm like, <laughs> what? Oh, that's so nice. So even even with your even you know with your two pints of milk and your and your apples and your potatoes <laughs> and your and your vital whatever and your five pack of pants, you get a free cucumber if you, <laughs> you practice magic in the right way. <laughs> I know exactly what supermarket I think you're talking about, and that just is such a random thing. She's she's right. It's normally like biscuits or something that's got a bit more, isn't it? Know, a, bit more, yeah. a bit more attractive. And cucumber, but the, yeah, the universe moves in mysterious ways. <laughs> Just looked at it. She kept looking at the order on her on her um on her um you know on her iPad or whatever it is, going what? She said, yeah, I've never seen a free cucumber before, and I'm like, oh, I'm hilarious. not surprised. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you've got your own stories on this as well, because but I did want to ask you. So yeah. throughout the book, you delve into law associated with herbs and plants, and you know. So, what is a story that you found writing the book that you particularly cherish, and why? And what is that herb or plant? Um, probably the story uh, I cherish most i mean the elizabeth blackwell story from the point of view of being a historical um insight into a historical story if you like is my favorite in terms of um mythology legend fairy tale um it's probably got to be the one in the chapter moss lights which mm -hmm. Um, it's a story I got told when I was really little by my granddad about uh, a Pictish carved stone, or maybe not, maybe it is created by the devil himself, but it's a story of uh, a stone that is now known as the Maiden Stone, mm -hmm. and it's uh, in uh, Geary Mill in Aberdeenshire, and it's just a beautiful stone. It feels really special. I go there occasionally when I'm back up that direction and I have a tendency to talk to her in the first person as if she's real. Um, I feel like she may well be a maiden trapped in a stone. Um, and I love that story. I've told it to so many groups. I've told it to, you know, older school children, who always love it and um you know the idea of the devil chasing her and capturing her I won't give too much away and I love moss because oh. for me and a lot of a lot of people you know there are lots of versions of that story as there usually are with good stories that have an oral tradition um but for me moss was always a really central part of that story and 
because it's so tactile and so wonderful. Um, and so that whole, and it's, and again, it, it ties into Scottish social history because, you know, they collected moss um, for war wounds. Um, and I think moss probably has a lot of hidden remedies within it that we haven't yet discovered. I feel like moss could be Scotland's very own rainforest. Well, we have a rainforest. Mm. I feel like moss, there are so many types of moss. Um, we don't use it very much anymore. Um, I found out lots of magical things about moss when I was working with that story for the chapter. Uh, I love moss and I really love that story. I mean, it's one that when I tell it now, I still get a shiver goes through my body. But again, it's like herbs and periods of history. It's a, it's a, I'm, I've told you that. And I also have to tell you that there was this story about the girl who weaves nettle shirts for her brothers when they're turned into swans, which I only mention in the book but I did record as a hidden extra in the audio book, if anyone wants to hear it. But it's a story that comes from all different cultures of the world. It's like there are seven different versions that are slightly different um, from different countries of the same story. And nettles are such an incredible plant. They're wonderful to work with. They've got so many benefits, so many aspects of life and practice that you use nettles for so that's got to be another story that is a personal favorite and it's kind of only loosely it's alluded to should we say in the book um because as my editor said at the beginning she said i love your version of it please share it on the audiobook but you don't need to write it in the book because i feel like it's riven into people's dna because i think a lot of people when I mention that story, I don't need to tell it terribly often. I did tell it if nobody knows it, if people don't know it. But um, you know, I almost don't need to mention it. I can just I can just mention the story and everyone knows the story of the girl yeah. weaving the shirt. So it's that's my other one. Those are probably my top two, the the moss maiden and the um the nettle shirts. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, I love this because I think for me, it's a really strange fear that I have that we will stop telling the stories or like forget the stories. And I feel like we we have a lot of stories on the show and, you know, a lot of the work and bits I've done are around the stories as well, because I don't know what it is. I feel like it's such a kind of, I feel like they just have got to keep being retold and retold and you know, and with our children and so on, they just they just really feel important to me. And I really felt that with your book, like reading the law, like I could just tell that, you, you know, it's really important to you as well. It is. And I think you've really touched on something vital there. I think stories need to keep being told to stay alive. And I think we, I look, we don't, <laughs> but I think a lot of people underestimate how important stories are and how important allowing those stories to keep growing. You know, they're organic. They do take on, you You know, you suddenly, you will have done this yourself, I'm sure. You will have told someone a story in a very everyday setting or mentioned a story and it will have changed. And when you go back to look at a written text, you'll go, oh, 
oh, that's not the way I remember it at all. And mm-hmm. you have allowed that story, that magic spell to be cast on that story that makes it your own. And, mm-hmm. and somehow by doing that, you've kept it relevant and, res- and allowed it to resonate for you and the person listening to it. And in that moment, you've given it a little bit more life. So it stays alive a bit longer and retains that vibrancy. And if we allow stories to grow like that, then they keep their relevance, you know, they keep being these magical things that give us huge amounts of information, huge amounts of comfort, um, and and a great way to connect with other people. Um, and, and with our sort of ancestors, if you like. Yeah, I, I mean, you can't underestimate the magic of a story. <laughs> No, and I think that we, you and I touched on this before we came on to recording this this interview, that you and I were talking a bit about our stories and then you've referenced the stories that your mum told, you know, told you about her life. And, you know, I feel like we don't always realise, because I'll sort of talk to my daughter about stories in the family and so on, and I've been very conscious of, keeping those going and and you don't always realize like which bits stick with somebody so there's bits there are little stories I've told her and they are the ones that she's remembered over ones that I kind of thought that she might have been more interested in you know sometimes surprises you the stories that people retain because there's something in it that just appeals to them and and is, is aligned with them I love what you said as well about you know keeping like a light in those stories like an energy in them um yeah. you know that they can keep growing and, and, and carry on but yeah I feel like even just us telling our children or people around us just our own stories because our whole lives are stories even you know our you know not just our ancestors just our story our stories as well and I saw this quote the other day and it was like stories are so integral to us we even dream in stories you know we go to sleep and there's still stories being told in our sleep so they're just so important, I think. They're just so vital. Exactly. And, you know, I, I absolutely. And what you've said there about telling your daughter stories or listening to family stories yourself is most children, if, they, um, if they've had a storytelling kind of family, people relate their anecdotes back to their children. Those are the stories that stay with you for life, that you remember they're one of the most um I don't know they're they're just a really lovely learning process it's how you learn about being a person isn't it by those Mm. stories and usually most children will say that the stories their grandparents or parents told them about when they were little um are the ones they remember the longest and they love the best um you know I mean the other thing there's a wonderful um storyteller Alida Gersey who you know, she's a veteran of storytelling, um, but my, she was one, one of my mum's mentors. Um, and a leader says in a book that stories offer us a safe place to look at things. And I think for me, that's one of the most important things stories do is you can reflect on things that are really difficult when they happen to somebody else in a story. And sometimes yeah. if that's your mum or your granny and there's a little bit of, of 
personal history there too that becomes even more powerful but you don't need to live necessarily that experience you can understand it and look at it from the safe place that stories give you and so yeah <laughs> I mean <laughs> they're, a, they're a wonderful thing you know and it was lovely yeah it was lovely sort of um that shared personal story that we had at the beginning I think it's made this interview a lot more fun really <laughs> so oh, stories do work a bit of magic <laughs> I find that so interesting what you said about the safety aspects because I find one thing I found really fascinating when I was a kid my grand like my granddad used to the minute me and my brother used to go like to get to their house he would like talk to us about stories and they were often about his experiences out in Burma in like the second world war and all these countries he went to and he worked on like ships as like a sort of chef and so on um but my dad never heard any of the stories we would tell my dad the stories of like oh granddad said this because it was too close in terms of a lot of trauma and so on Mm -hmm. So my granda couldn't tell it in my dad's lifetime, yet we got to experience it because I guess the time was removed and he'd done a lot of his own healing and could comfortably talk about it. So sometimes maybe it might be that there are certain stories that we might have with our grandchildren or, you know, yeah. further generations because it's too close to home right now. We're still on our journey of healing and so on. But I found that really interesting that my granda was so determined to tell us these stories, but they missed the generation because it was yeah. too you yeah. yeah absolutely and I think that's that's brilliant you know you've just sent a shiver through me because where um one of the book launch events I said um I mentioned someone was asking about my grandmother sharing sort of little bits about magic to me I mean talking about fairies hiding in the garden and my my mum even says she didn't talk about things like that. That's like a, almost mm-hmm. like you're talking about a different person. I can't imagine her talking about a, anything that imaginary. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. She, she's very much a practical human woman, my granny. Um, and, I, and absolutely, I get that. Absolutely practical. But there were also, there was something else. And then a, a member of the audience turned to me and said, it's because you were just a child and yeah. you and she wasn't the first in line to be responsible for you so she could be something slightly different mm-hmm. you know grandparents are slightly different with their grandchildren than they are with their children um, yes. and you know that and I thought you know what she's right that's absolutely true I listened to my mum with my own children and I'm left going Sometimes I wish it, wish she'd be more like she was with me, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, Why are you doing that? Oh my goodness! Um, you got into granny mode. Um, but uh, but also, yeah, she she shares different things in a different way, and there's something magical and important about that. Um, and I love that your your granddad shared his memories of um the war and his and his experiences and adventure. I mean, my my granddad would tell me about some of his as well and again I think I think there were there were questions people were did that actually happen and I'm like Mm. I'm pretty sure it did he just not told anyone else before you know he he 
you know so I think that's really important and I think as because I do work with schools um as a you know professional storyteller and I take plants in and I get kids mixing up potions that are part of the stories but one of the things I like to do in my school sessions um is incorporate those story collecting sessions that I run in communities and get older people to share their stories with children because I often say to the kids if you've moved and we do move a lot more these days we often live <laughs> far away from our grandparents um go and ask the older you know the the lady the older lady in the shop an elderly neighbor ask them about what their childhood was like because those intergenerational stories are incredibly valuable and I kind of wanted to bring that into the book because a lot of the folklore a lot of the recipes and things like that that I share in the book although they are centered in a period of history um I've often been told them or taught them um through uh intergenerational story sharing really even like the, the wonderful curator at the Ashmolean who creeps mysteriously into one chapter you know recipes <laughs> and things like that bits of folklore um are often shared intergenerationally and I think that's a really 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 important way of learning and and just it gives us something wonderful to talk to older folk about as well do you know um I, I think everyone regardless of age should find an older friend sometimes and say what do you remember about this how was this you know when you were growing up just because oh, absolutely. You know, they're vital to remember um, absolutely and I feel like it's you know and, and and also for us just to not think I think sometimes we have this like oh they won't want to hear it or I don't know if they'll want to know but I think you know we must never underestimate how powerful our story our stories are or listening to our parents and so on you know I feel like people do want to pass some of these on and I think there's just sometimes this assumption that our children won't want to hear it or our grandchildren won't and you'll be surprised you know I'm always surprised at bits that my daughter retains and I'm like oh did that really interest you and she's like yeah and sometimes at the time you're you're telling them it and you don't get much of a reaction you don't often with children sometimes mm -hmm. or especially Absolutely. teenagers but but you'll be surprised at how much they do retain or has stayed with them so it, it is worth you know continuing to do um, yeah absolutely so and what I'm picking up sorry I just need to say something because you've just made me think of something lovely that the opposite of um your grandparents sharing stories with you that they may not have told their own children by uh reflection sort of thing actually I watch children being like my own children being told things by their grandparents, my father-in-law or, you know, um, my late mother-in-law, bless her, showing my eldest how to darn socks. Now, <laughs> if I told my eldest how to darn socks when she was 13, <laughs> right, that conversation would have been really brief. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I And I can't claim to be, I can't claim that I would be, um, you know, charming benevolent and engaging during it I would have been like right this is a thing you're going to learn to do get a needle and thread come on so pay attention now you've got to do this and she would have thought that everything I said was really boring and annoying 
quite rightly, yeah. been quite boring and quite annoying. My late mother-in-law, um, you know, she sat down and listened and paid. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Attention and, um, and remembers, bless her, how to dance socks because her, her grandma told her. Um, so... You know, the other thing is that sometimes those stories told by grandparents or by older folk in the community are much more interesting than if they're told to you by your parents. Oh, so spot on. Absolutely. Because, no, honestly, my daughter goes off to make cheesecake with my dad regularly. (laughs) And I'm always like, and I always kind of just thought, like, she's just doing it because she wants to eat the cake. But the conversations they have, like she she comes away from it and, you know, same like you, if I was trying to have a conversation with her and make a cheesecake, one of us is going to die. You know, yeah. we're going to end up killing each other in the kitchen. But yeah. they tend to come away from it with something to eat at the end of it. And she's full of stories. And you're right. Sometimes that gap is just everything for them to be receptive and open. And yeah, yeah really, absolutely. really good point. <laughs> So the answer to this is, um, I didn't think I would be the person to say that, but now I'm thinking that, oh, I need grandchildren because then they will listen to me. (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. I'm going to bore my grandchildren to death if I have some. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm only joking, but I'm really looking forward to, uh, I'll be there with all my fairy tale books and some of my my more uh, PG stories of my own to tell yeah. them. There's a lot we won't get into, but there'll be a few we can talk about. <laughs> Thanks. I think, um, I think that's valuable for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go with the PG personal stories. Oh, do you um, know something? <laughs> I, I think, I guess, I, I guess, I think, having spoken to you before, I think yours are slightly younger than mine, but my my eldest um now starting to get some of the less PG stories. I'm like, and, <laughs> and actually she listens to me more now. We're on to the less PG content. Um uh, <laughs> you can yeah. see her occasionally going, You did what, Mum? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I did, I've been young and exciting, you know. Um and no, no, but she um it, it, you know, they all, the stories have their time and they have their place, is what I mean seriously by that, not just joking, but, you know, the content that you might not share when they're younger sometimes becomes relevant later on and can save the day in a stressful situation. So, you know, it's all good stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. It's about to that from a safe place, isn't it? Because it's not going to be them. If you're telling them your 
stories of when you've got into because I, I tend to tell my daughter the stories of when I've got into trouble with this or because she's 16 now so she's kind of making that journey into womanhood and yeah. now I'm laying on those stories you know like oh and then I did this and yeah. you don't want to do that because this happened and she's like you know going pale like oh my goodness no <laughs> oh no so they so yours are the same age as mine then roughly yeah so that's that is we're into that one too I'm just like yeah, and also then you know that you that you know if you do get into a into a place that you shouldn't be in by accident or whatever, you know that actually your mum maybe knows. Yeah, yeah. I mean, is that is that bottom line is, honey, I have the t-shirt. And, <laughs> um... <laughs> exactly. I know how this is going to turn out before it's even happened. Yeah. From you my just... story, my mum's stories of it, and yeah, absolutely, honestly. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's nothing no. new in the world, and I do know. Where... <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to come say, back. Don't they? People are storytelling animals, so there you go. Stories, stories are, are the thing that we um that we need to keep us all bubbling safely along somehow. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I was going to ask you actually about, so so coming back to, well, I guess like the more newer generation of witches, what advice you might offer to a witch who is perhaps new to working with herbs and plants as to where, if you were kind of starting out again, how would you begin with your journey, with your relationship with herbs and plants? Ooh, um really basic stuff like yeah really really basic stuff that I feel like everybody should know but probably needs reiterating in the days of information being super accessible online that you can't do better um before you start thinking about anything more magical and esoteric is you can't get past knowing what you're working with so the first thing anyone should do really is get a really, really, really good book as opposed to just the app because the app gets it wrong. Uh, I yeah. used to, but get a book because book is backup. <clears throat> Have a basic understanding of the botany and the structure because, um, but do it in the field. So don't imagine that just the book and just the app are going to work. It doesn't matter where you are. You can be in an urban environment with, you know, birch trees planted by the council growing up in, you know, cages alongside the pavement with dandelions trying to resist the weed killer with Budlia sprouting out of a roof opposite your, your office. Engage with actual plants and an actual physical book um, that isn't just looking beautiful and magical, but is... Um, a really straightforward good botanical guide that that tells you what to look for and then get the feel of them but also uh, smell and touch and I am um, an open talking to plants um, mad plant person I will I literally can be found wandering around a garden going "Ooh, what are you you're lovely uh, or um Oh, look, aren't you beautiful? And or squishing things to this day. Um, 
And, you know, when I'm working with students, when I'm taking courses or workshops, I, I do. By the end of it, everyone's wandering around going, oh, hello, how are you this morning? You're <laughs> lovely. And picking things and squeezing them and smelling them and, you know, risking tasting things. So get, but get a good field guide, uh, learn your basics. Mm -hmm. Actually, don't just do it by looking up on the internet and buying a bag of dried herbs on the internet and then going straight into thinking you're going to cast spells and heal acute illnesses get a really yeah. good, <laughs> a really good basic I mean I say in the book um because I was aware that there is um a lot of conversation amongst herbalists out with the sort of witchy community um but uh practicing medicinal herbalists that there's nothing worse than a herb book that doesn't offer you a really good idea and, uh, and really good um, herbal information. And I've said, listen, I'm not going to do that because mm. I, mm. I would say from the offset, I am a storyteller first and foremost. I'm a herbal storyteller. Yes, I've got training. Yes, I'm an associate member of the National Institute of Medical Herbalists. I am not a practicing clinical herbalist. I am not going to tell people what to look for. There are books better than mine that do that and do it really well. So get a really good herbal book. Um, but unless you're prepared to go down the course of learning, um, you know, doing a full course on medicinal herbalism, then stick to the, you know, a really well written one. There's, you know, I, I could list loads of loads of herb schools, but mainly in, in Scotland, I would go with grassroots remedies. And in England, there's Botonica School of Herbalism, Herbal Medicine, um, both of whom I know and trust. And in the US, there's uh, Erica Gallantin, who is Sovereignty Herbs, all of whom I know personally, all of whom I know are turning out really solid courses on home herbal medicine practice that will give you the basics you need to know about how to create um, recipes, what simple herbs are safe to use for yourself, your children, your families. Um, so I would inform yourself with that sort of thing. But first and foremost, get out there, listen to the plants. If you know they're safe, taste them gently, sit quietly and uh, experience what they're doing inside your body. So start with things that are impossible to get wrong, I think, like dandelions or, or nettles. And, you know, make yourself a simple tea or buy something that you trust if that makes you feel more secure and if that's what you have access to. I realise some people are housebound. Um, but experience the smell and the taste and sit quietly and think, what is this doing to me? Is my head clearing? Has my digestion feeling? Um, if you want to go into uh, a magical practice and then um, work in, if you feel more aligned to doing something more witchy, it's always best to have that as your root starting point before you start doing other stuff. Um, oh, and I love that. In the books that what I've encouraged people to do is find things that are mostly safe. I mean, Oh gosh, I mentioned things like nettles and realised that people then might go and pick them in the autumn and give themselves, you know, some kind of um, trouble to their kidneys or that people might be allergic to salicylates and I've mentioned um, willow tea in there. But um, 
99% of the time, the very small amount that you take will be pretty much safe for, for anyone. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And there are notes in the book if there is any kind of risk associated. Um, but also, you know, you, you can't get better than experiencing them and smell and taste and touch and looking at them as your first step. And also go find someone that you know or that you trust that really resonates, that you feel like you want to work with and go mm. out with them. Go on a walk somewhere with them. Um you know, I take herbal storytelling walks. A lot of herbalists take walks, not necessarily for foraging, but just to introduce you to plants in the place and get a feel for them. And you can't get better than going out with someone that you um, feel like you can empathise with, that you feel like they resonate with you, you know? You, you know that yeah. feeling where yeah. it's yeah. just much more effective. There's no, no point in signing up for a course and then you spend the whole time going oh my goodness what is he going to say next I'm so bored and not looking at what you're doing find someone whose work you like you know you'll you'll get the feel of a really good herbal book or um a, <clears throat> I see someone who's into whose uh, social media you love and you really like them and you're just I want to work with them and then go and work with that person um even for just a day or a, a morning and um start to start to learn and experience things from there but back it up with a good book <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely no I think so many points in there you said are absolutely spot on I love what you said about you know if it's like dandelions avoiding like you know just looking at what's growing where you are I've not long moved to the countryside but I've spent most of my life in south London just come from the like from the seaside where you know there's not a lot there unless it's like like you say like planted by the council and so on and yeah. I used to go out with my dog and just used to every dog walk like used to go out and just look at what I could see and I wasn't kind of like fixated on looking at fancy plants or whatever it was I started off with like dandelions and like that was like a whole new world like the dandelion is millions of properties and magical associations yeah. You get so, like, it's so crazy, like, what you, when you open up the world of that little plant that is just growing out the pavement or, like, a little wallflower. And and I think it's, like, often underestimated how magical what is just growing out there in a concrete jungle or, yeah, just on the side of the road or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And there is a whole, there is a whole sort of saying or a kind of belief amongst herbalists um and um other sorts of practitioners who work with plants that what we need grows where we are so that plants mm -hmm. have got a, a sort of a mycelial connection if you like with us that we're not aware of or some of us aren't aware of some people aren't aware of um but that the plants reflect this and so that if you you know you you question those dandelions and as you say they've got so many uses but they survive most of the things that people throw at them there's a wonderful scottish story about uh, their connection to fairyland which um i'll share with you another time but the um the you know they as you know they they they've got really fabulous effect on the liver and and sort of liver toxicity is such a a common um common thing in in modern environments you know too much <laughs> too much too much booze all those other things can um unfortunately 
affect our livers. And there you go, outside uh, any licensed establishment within a couple of paces, there will be dandelions growing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but yeah, plants are there where we need them. You know, I, I, as you say, even our, our city, uh, inner city canals or waterways and, and you go for a dog walk and you'll pass hawthorn growing um, with its berries that heal broken hearts um, and can be used to, you know, um, dispel grief or mm-hmm. um, and also have a wonderful effect on the blood pressure. Uh, another symptom of modern modern life you know and so plants are there when we need them and and you know you can either be in a beautifully uh, rich botanical environment which I'm lucky enough to be in these days but like you spent a lot of time in city environments where there wasn't much but they're still there you know they're still they're still popping up around us absolutely I'm I'm a real huge so I ever since I was a kid like I always had really crippling like depression when it was uncool to say that you were like mentally (laughs) unwell you know when you would get the kick like you would get the crap kicked out of you at school if Mm -hmm. you said you were depressed or whatever that that was like you know for me growing up in the 80s and the 90s and so I've always kind of um struggled with that especially when I was living in London so I I loved London but I very much struggled with like the concrete jungle aspects of it and for me like when I started to kind of look at plants and herbs and so on even being there it did open up this other little world of escapism for me because it did feel like oh there is a bit of nature on the doorstep um I was coming back to you sorry talking about the depression link um, you mentioned about hawthorn and so on, and and I actually work with a herbal medicine practitioner, and for me, like that's been such an integral part, along with lots of therapy, of like my depression journey and like coming out of my like Virginia Woolf mode, as I call it, because. Mm-hmm. She absolutely got it. And like, you know, with um the herbs that she gave me, what they linked to and so on. And I just think that these little plants and these herbs, you know, when you say hawthorn, these things that they, they're just growing on the side of a road or they could just be growing in a big urban city. They are integral parts of this medicine that, can, you know, can help with depression and all sorts of different ailments that we've got. I just think it's so magical how... They are. They can be used, and this kind of. Um, I I always used to assume that you wouldn't be able to treat like how I felt with herbs that they weren't strong enough. But then I remember thinking, well, you know, if you've got like ayahuasca, you've got like cocaine, marijuana. Like, not that I'm promoting any drug use, but I used to think, <laughs> look at the huge impact and effects that they have on people how can you underestimate these plants together to treat yeah. you in a healing way yeah absolutely and I mean it goes back to that thing where um I having gone through depression myself as well so you know really resonated with me what you just said um I found that uh pharmaceutical antidepressants actually one or two of them made me feel worse okay. um absolutely horrific side effects um and the you know St John's Walk for example is is basically uh, one of the best serotonin reuptake inhibitors um that there is and um it works for me personally 
um yeah. when I was doing coming out of that period it was it um had a far more it's described as you know being a light antidepressant I found it more powerful than anything in a pharmacy um yeah. absolute uh you know like like someone had switched on some kind of beautiful sunset in the back of my head and made everything change quite quickly um yeah and um I you know, I mean, I, I say to people who, who say to me, oh, I've got something that can't be treated. Yeah, I'm never going to tell people. I take I take allopathic Western medicine for, um, as well as use herbal medicine. I use the two alongside each other. There are some things that will save your life. Um, you know, antibiotics being the simplest one. Yeah. Yeah. Where, yeah. where uh, because the action is so fast, although, you know, intense amounts of garlic or garlic and echinacea or, or thyme may, may be more uh, beneficial in the long term, may also sometimes be better than the antibiotics. But there are, yeah. let's face it, there are some illnesses that if you don't have uh, modern medicine, you are not going to be here next week. Yeah. That's yeah. just that. Yeah. However, however, there are some things where herbs are gentler, more effective, and have fewer side effects. Um, you know, there is a, that's why we need clinical herbalists, because, you, you know, this is not necessarily a path of um, self-treatment for everybody. Um, I, I always say to people, you know, get, get someone, because a proper medical herbalist will sit down and do an individual, um, very, very detailed um, medical history, profile all your symptoms and therefore be able to treat you appropriately but at the same point there are some things that are really easy to access and that you have in your cupboard or your garden or in the you know hedgerow near your house that can also be as strong and sometimes in some circumstances more appropriate than the mm. pharmaceutical equivalent the other thing is of course is that that you can't escape is that and a pharmacy, a, a chemist, is full of things that are derived from yes. <laughs> from plants. You know, I mean, aspirin is is salicylic acid, which we get from meadow sweet and from willow. Um, you know, uh, um, uh, heart. You know, heart. The first one of the first incredibly powerful heart medicines was developed from digitoxin which is foxglove deadly poisonous if you go around munching on them in the wild but <laughs> if pharmacy if a pharmacy hadn't got involved in that one it wouldn't have become a mainstay of the um of the medical practice um although I do tell a lovely story about a woman who had that recipe taken from her but um that's maybe for another episode um yeah I think I think that we, you know, we are also, um, Britain and the US are two of the places, two of the few places where pharmacies don't have uh, a huge range of herbal products um, available mm. to the pharmacist and the apothecary. I had a, I did a workshop a couple of years ago now um, and the uh in the audience it was a family workshop so but the, it was inevitably it was had a lot of grown-ups came as well as children and the grown-ups had some really interesting conversations one of the ones that I've heard repeated on a number of occasions since was with a, a Polish woman who had trained as a 
apothecary as a pharmacist and in Poland and she said I was so relieved to come to your workshop today I give you the the heads up this workshop was in um, a massive um, um, medical teaching um, place and they wanted me to create a public workshop sharing some of their historical aspects some of their their exhibition of of historical medicine um with the with the public and so mm -hmm. there were you know there was um lister's early um early discussions uh, early experiments with antiseptics um there were there were um you know developments shall we say in modern medicine there alongside my conversations about herbs and herbal storytelling and this apothecary from Poland said to me when I learned uh, 10 years ago we learned about herbs as well as about western medicine and in my pharmacy back in Poland I had both on the shelves and I could treat people with either willow or with aspirin I had those options available wow. to me. and when I came here I was really surprised to find that your chemists do not have that stuff to hand. And I've had a similar uh, conversation with an Italian um, chemist uh, just a few weeks ago. And so we are, um, we are quite uh, unique, shall we say, um, that we don't have that range of medicines available to us. And certainly the US is on a, is on another, um, step in that scale of separation from herbs to pharmaceuticals um, yeah. and I think that's a shame because I think having the knowledge and both to hand um, can can really save a lot more lives and and bring about a lot more integrated health options that are you know are appropriate for different people at different times yeah I mean I, I literally I think, especially, I mean, having started this conversation mentioning depression, without, yeah. I think, I think herbs are one of, one of the uh, great unsung heroes in, in treating, um, sort of a range of of quite upsetting and and life damaging mental health, you know, conditions. Uh, you know, they they're not the answer to everything, but that you know they they do offer a really a really strong helping hand to a lot of people that shouldn't be underestimated. Something you said about when you were given prescribed medication, you know, mm. like NHS and so on, I really resonated with that. I used to feel like hopeless that I was never going to find anything that was going to make me feel better because I used to take, I had friends that, you know, like I've seen other people take it and, and you know, that, that it worked for them. But for me, I always felt like I was inside and this, medication was the sort of exterior mask but I was still inside feeling rubbish just really dosed up and out of it um and I genuinely lost any hope with ever kind of taking anything that balanced me out and again like you were saying you know the whole experience of working with herbs and using it as my daily medicine in different ways teas and tinctures and so on absolute game changer for me because it set a foundation and this is kind of why I'm bringing it up Amanda because I feel like there might be a lot of people listening that are like I'm not getting anywhere with a typical NHS route I'm, I'm not bashing the NHS but maybe that typical route that is so you know the society's kind of like norm I just think if ever you fail like if you've struggled with that if you felt it's failed you 
do have a look at how you can work with herbs because absolute game change for me and it set a foundation with my nervous system where mm. I then got into therapy and could talk about stuff that I'd spent I mean I'm 41 now and I'd spent 20 something years and never ever discussing but it set this foundation in my body with my yeah. nervous system that I could then do the work without thinking I was going to die I used to think I was going to die if I spoke about certain things and it's amazing yeah. when you get the two interacting or even if you were just trying herbal things and then began you know it might give you the, the prompt to start shadow work or just whatever the healing form is if it leads on to other things it, it, yeah. it, it, it was a life changer for me absolutely and I'm with you there I mean I um slightly different experience in that I would say it felt like herbs had my back if that makes yeah. sense really really that they were supportive that they held me basically because I would say that most of my uh, dramas my uh lack of confidence my um depression my or my depression came from a lack of confidence and mm -hmm. um I'd made bad choices because of that lack of confidence because I was incredibly frightened I just spent mm -hmm. a lot of time frightened of something that I didn't know what it was I still get it occasionally I still have to remember you know go back you need to you need to just sit down and breathe deeply and not resent reminding yourself to breathe deeply and sip tea and you know imagine yourself safe and it will come back to you but it was panic attacks with me absolutely shocking fear and then you know hoping that other people that weren't necessarily going to help me or work that wasn't going to help me um would somehow alleviate this fear or save me from it somehow do you know um maybe that's where fairy stories come in because I think um maybe not a handsome prince although probably there were ideas about handsome princes too to be honest I, I'll be honest um <clears throat> I thought that maybe a relationship was going to be the you know the brave thing that saved me I didn't find the brave person that that's got my back until I actually found my own bravery uh, yeah you know what I mean? Yeah. I didn't need to be saved because I had to, you know, tick that box. But then someone that would save me appeared. But um, because uh, I wouldn't like to discredit my lovely other half because he he's totally got my back. Um, but um, it wasn't until I'd done that work myself that 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 opened up. Um, but yeah, herbs had my back and made me brave enough. Now that sounds ridiculous when I'm someone who's you know been telling you that I'm I'm happy to to travel off somewhere on my own and uh, stand up in a in a room of of you know I've I've worked with a couple of hundred people in the audience or ten people in a more intimate workshop setting um, and talk about confidently about what I do and what I know about but it's because of working with herbs and that change in my in my um my nervous system my um thought patterns um and my state of of mind that um allowed me to to be the thing that makes me happy um yeah i i also think that you know the whole getting out there and uh familiarizing yourself with plants 
probably, you know, I know there is some wonderful research being done now about the effect on um, microbiome and, uh, you know, touching soil and plants and things yeah. will um, affect your your internal um, microbiome and that as well is massively su supportive to not only physical health but your mental and emotional state as well and so I really think um, the idea of forest bathing or walking is is out in nature is is just touching the surface it's, it's also vital don't get me wrong you know that going out but you can walk and observe those dandelions and that hawthorn and the hedges and the budley are on the rooftop but you know touching it smelling it tasting it and getting yeah. used to it and then finding which plants work for you is is just it's more than just simply being in nature it's layers and layers of stuff and it's all those things we've talked about those intergenerational relationships and sharing of recipes and plant id and childhood memories it's the fairy stories the plants grow into it's the folklore that's been handed down over the centuries spoken word charms little rhymes little tiny increments of magic it just all works together and it's a really really vital part of um healthy life individually and as a society I guess really um god I've just I think that I've just made it sound like something really deep and important is happening but do you know what I mean you'll get I can hear the passion for this in your voice as well um I really really passionately believe that this is an incredibly important thing um, and I'm just very, very lucky. I'm very grateful that I, I found a place in it that that I am, um, that, you know, I can, I can add my 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 voice, my work to that general sense that this that's this big important thing, you know, because everything comes into it, doesn't it? You know, sustainability, how whether or not the planet survives our our uh, <laughs> survives our our um. Our, our, our greed if you like yeah, and our our presence, for resources, yeah. you know all of it all it all fits in there somewhere <laughs> I'm so grateful that you shared some of your vulnerable stories on this as well because I really really relate and I'm sure so many of the listeners will relate to you saying like because I completely relate to that it's only when you've like saved yourself that you are a magnet to the people that are going to you know does that make sense of like yeah totally because totally. there's so some of these stories you know some of the stories can affect us quite negatively and give us these beliefs and we don't realize that we are the one that's going to be on our own horse charging in with a sword and doing that for us you know so yeah. I think that's really important I'm really glad that you shared that because I really <laughs> resonate that and I think a lot of other people will too when you shut like when you <clears throat> when you save yourself it's amazing like all the things that kind of come as a result of that and I really yeah resonated with that um I wanted to ask you we've talked a lot about the medicinal side and the law mm -hmm. I'm always really curious about other you know witchy pagan spiritual types and you know how they work in their practice so I wanted to ask you what the last question is really <laughs> what herbs that you like to work with most in regards to your spiritual practice and how you work with them um 
Right. I will. So, so I'm not. Uh, I don't have a title under which I put all yeah. that. That mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. Um, I'm. I, I'm find religious and uh, spiritual practices. I think they're really important. But I'm almost mm. got a, a sort of slightly. I, I've got a. I've got an anthropologist's fascination with it so I like I love finding out what other people do what I do personally is probably deeply personal and feels quite uh it doesn't feel like it's got anything to sit under it's just yeah yeah so what do I do I have um hmm, an awful lot of that sitting and observing and tasting actually Mm -hmm. then becomes a spiritual if you like process and if I I feel like I need to do that to maintain my connection I become a better storyteller I work with people um, more effectively and have a much nicer time and they enjoy it a lot more and it all becomes something much more beautiful and grows and it feels connected to something beyond mere humanity, beyond the uh, the tactile, beyond the things we can hold. If I put in that time sitting with plants and although I do have one or two sort of touchstone plants that I need to return to, I also uh, do it whenever I'm, I've discovered a new story or I hear a snippet of history, the plant that it is, I make sure that I take that and have that time with the plant so that I understand it before I share it with other people. And that I think has become, a. it's not, people say, is that how you work as a storyteller? It's more than that. It is an actual um, working, practice that has a uh, rhythm and and um a deeper connection to something else um I'm not really being very lucid about this I mean I feel like I'm usually quite no, but it is really deeply personal and it's just kind of like it's something about sitting being with listening to the effect on the body those things that I touched on when we talked about how do you start your practice are still the core aspect of my practice and then when I take that and when I chat to people or when I do something to create a certain mm, there is an aspect to most of my stories that have like a hidden realm if you like that I know Mm -hmm. and that I see and some people I think I think I tried to get that into the book it's it's interesting trying to do that into a into a written work but certainly when I'm if I'm running a workshop um, I've worked with those plants so that I can almost create another realm of the plant because of the work I've done with it and with the story. And as I imagine and hold that, that becomes sort of redolent, if you like, to the mm-hmm. audience. Um, which, yeah, it's quite hard to talk about. I don't know. I work with I work with plants in a number of ways, and I work with them in stories, and then I hold that and I bring it into the sessions. So I'm never just. I mean, there are wonderful storytellers and practitioners who will say serve a herbal tea whilst they're telling a story, and 
um they're doing something they're doing their own thing what i'm doing is not just having a cup of tea with a story that plant you know i will take an essence of it i will take the essence will have sent it i can't even tell you because i'm not prepared to share all of them no no, no <laughs> I but I you know what i do a load of things. stuff and i bring it dimension another dimension of it into the room because I really don't think, I mean, I, I studied Goethe a lot when I was studying herbal medicine. I don't think you can experience a herb in a simple one dimensional form. You need mm. to have completely immerse yourself into that story, into that herb, and then you need to embody it and bring it out. And so I, I spend a, a degree of my personal time putting that into practice in the background so that I know what I'm doing when I'm in the room with other people. So that, that I think is probably the core of my own practice because that's, uh, you know what, yeah, yeah. with sharing it with other people, that is what brought me into this and made, you know, healed all those aspects of my life that we've touched on. Um, mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. So if I meet obstacles, and so I need to always remember to go back and do that. Oh, yeah. I love that so much, and it is just like kind of you know, it makes me think of all the plants being their own little like devas and having their own little personalities, mm -hmm. and you're just connecting directly with them, and you've done all that work with with them over the years. Your relationship, you know, Sanri, they are really strong as the result and I think that's truly magical and I'm really grateful oh my goodness Amanda you have no idea how truly fascinated I have been by what you've talked about today I feel like there's so many conversations we've got into and again I've been hanging on your every word because you are such a storyteller I can't <laughs> wait to see what you do next and on that note before we kind of wrap things up because I know I've kept you a long time but I could have you talking all day what are <laughs> you sort of <laughs> what have you got going on at the moment that you want to share like where can we find you what do we need to know about what's next oh thank you so much and it's been really lovely talking to you too I feel like you're a friend now I'm like oh, Same. <laughs> kind of my last work bit I'm about to take take the, the last postage postings of the book and things out to people this afternoon but then actually what I'm doing is I've just uh, released the forest path which is my first online herbal storytelling uh, course um, it, that touches on some of the things we've talked about so that's out that's available online on my website botanica fabula um but i'm also i'm just finishing off the next chapter of the very curious herbal online courses so that's coming out later on this week so people can find those um on my website they can also if anyone's listening from um near the northeast of of um America I we're, I'm super excited I'm going to be in very very beautiful Hudson Valley uh, wow. in state New York uh, for Imolk uh, for Candlemas uh, mm -hmm. St Bride's Day or just Bride's Day um, so the, the Feast of St Bridget 
and I am doing um, a wonderful weekend retreat um, in a beautiful working farm, um, Metabi in upstate New York. Yeah, we'll be there all weekend. We'll be walking and looking at plants just as I've described. We'll be having stories, some food. There will be creating, uh, Bridie is the, um, or Bridget is the patron saint of poetry, apart from anything else and healing and so we will be working with herbs and creating um, some magical stories and tastes and and expanding our knowledge of those vital vibrant springtime herbs that like bring um bring us out of winter and into you know that lovely time of year i love spring um and it's just beginning to creep in a bit. So there'll be a bit of Scottish traditional folklore in there, some of origin stories, how that creeps into early Christian beliefs. There will be folklore, there will be storytelling, there will be herbs, there will be creating. Yeah, and then I'm I'm back in Scotland the end of the first week in February, um, doing things for the National Library of Scotland. Uh, so there's lots going on, but if anyone does want to find out more, um, I will I will share a link to my website um, and I'm all over social media um, <laughs> uh, yeah so do do please anyone get in touch I am as friendly as I seem when I'm chatting away to Carly I'm uh, kind of deeply personal and, and hide away quite a lot but then people talk to me and I'm a complete chatterbox as you might have gathered so yeah, <laughs> what's happening that. No, not that you, I wasn't going to say you're a chatterbox, I was going to say, I probably shouldn't say this, but of all the authors I've had on the show, you are the warmest, like most down to earth, like you were saying earlier, if you find someone that you resonate with and you want to study with, like honestly, Amanda is exactly how she comes across, you know, <laughs> yeah. off interview, so if you want to, you know, what a person to learn from genuinely, so everything that you've given, like I'll put everything in the show notes you can find Amanda but thank you so much for coming on I'm so grateful oh thank you Carly it's been absolutely <laughs> lovely talking to you <laughs> thank you so much for, and thank you for loving the book I mean just it's been a really lovely morning chatting <laughs> that is all I have for you today which is if you happen to love Amanda's work as much as I do you may wish to sign up to her new course the Silk Roads and use the code Silk Roads, no space, all in capitals, which will give you 25% off until the new year. I will link the codes and all the details for Amanda's course, book, website and socials in the show notes so that you can find her. I just want to say a big thank you to all my Patreons. Without you guys, I could not do this. If you would like more witchy content, you can sign up to the Witches Institute for just £6 per month. For that, you will get access to Patreon podcast episodes, meditations, folklore retellings, hedge witch studies where we look at power animals, crystals, trees, plants. We also have our witchy community and lots of other witchy extras. You can cancel at any time. Have a wonderful new year, witches, and I will catch up with you all soon, sending you lots and lots of witchy love.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.